Welcome to the Sports and Torts podcast and its presentation of college football's last call. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, the boys bring you their thoughts on this week in college football. And to hell with Tennessee. Hey, it is a great day to be alive, a great day to be a Georgia Bulldog, a great day to be talking to y'all. Our boy T. Ludd, Tom Ludham in the house, joining us on College Football's Last Call, Week 10. Guys, it doesn't get much better than this as a Georgia Bulldog fan. Well, boys, I'm uh, I'm thrilled and excited to be here. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people say I'm I'm honored and humbled to be here, but I'm not going to say that because I'm not humbled. It's it's hard to be humble when you're on top, and as Larry Munson said, dogs on top. And uh, but somebody did get humbled on Saturday, and that was at Big Orange Vols. Listen, it's uh it's awesome to be the kings of the mountain right now in college football. You know, I just got home from a quick trip to New Orleans for work. Everybody knows I'm a huge dogs fan, and everyone wants to just come talk Georgia football. How good we looked, um, you know. These are the glory days, guys. We we got to really enjoy them because it is fun. Well, I'm excited to have uh, some new blood join, particularly Tom. Uh, many times my nemesis, he's my uh, Craig Elo to me being MJ or, or Hans Gruber to me is John McClain, but not when it comes to Georgia football. We, we seem to be very like-minded. So I'm going to refer to you today as the, the Chewy to my Hans or the Goose to my Maverick. Happy to have you here, Tom. <laughs> First week. Indeed, thank you. That's that's a great introduction. Thank you. I do like Gans how you changed your name to Lud's Daddy. Uh, that did not go unnoticed, by the way. Um, yeah, the two of you guys have some fun sparring back and forth over WhatsApp. Me and Larry might just sit back and let you guys go at it right now. Although, as you said, you're on the same team here on the same side. Uh, both of y'all were in Sanford on Saturday. Me and Lawrence were not. Um, both of y'all's voices sound a little like you're still fighting re- re- recuperation. So tell us how it was up there. Well, yeah, my voice is a little, still a little bit gone, but I'm working on it. As you can see, got some, uh, Tennessee honey, sweetened, uh, Tennessee whiskey here from the Jack Daniels. Nothing tastes better after a Tennessee, vic- Tennessee ass whooping. It was the, the great <clears throat> game I've been to at Sanford Stadium. I've been to a lot of good ones. I mean that by the atmosphere. Obviously, the game was fantastic. Um, we, I came in by the Sky Suites on uh, the backside of the stadium, and I was down in the lower level, and you could not move. And um, it, it honestly was scary for a minute how packed it was. We got in about 310, had to go down to the field level to walk around to come back up. Uh, and when the game finished, we just sat in our seats for about 15 or probably 15 minutes. Which was great because we were, you know, kind of soaking it all in. But I've never heard Sanford as loud as it was on Saturday. The only thing that I remember coming close was 2013 LSU, uh, Aaron Murray versus Zach Mettenberger shootout. Uh, gosh, in fact, I was sitting with you at that game. Um, but th- this, it, the the decibel level, the noise level, the excitement. Georgia brought out all the, uh, you know, every NFL player on a bye week was there. Uh, you had Pollock, Green. Um, if you guys are familiar, they played Little League football together. Uh, <laughs> Never heard that story. Yeah, Champ Bailey. It, it, a plus. 
without even getting into the game, A-plus on the surroundings, A-plus from the University of Georgia in terms of hosting a fantastic event. Yeah, and I think um, we may have talked about this on our chat, but I don't think we talked about it here. But um, they said there were 20 five-star recruits at the game. And uh, I think it was Jeff Santel said he, in all of his records, at any game ever in the country that had only been as many as 12. Wow. So for them to see all those NFL guys, every time there was a timeout, every time there was a commercial, they just rolled out five or ten more of them. It was, it was really impressive. I mean, this was Kirby's – this was a Super Bowl in terms of home games and hosting recruits, right? One versus one, we got – you know, a problem, wait, it had to be way more than 93,000 people in the stadium based on the stories we heard of people greasing the, the ticket brokers and or the, the gate, the gate uh, ticket takers and people just kind of jumping and running into the stadium. Um, there's one thing – I mean, Kirby does a lot of things really, really good. Uh, but we know when it comes to recruiting, um, man, there's nobody better. And so I imagine, you know, all the, the, the five stars getting the NFL players, I'm sure all the stuff in between that we don't see it t- watching on TV that you guys see in the stadium in terms of what's on the scoreboard, who they're bringing out, who they're highlighting. Uh, I imagine they've probably got a few either silent commits or pretty strong leans coming our way after a game like that. It's amazing that is um, you know the atmosphere, the pomp and circumstance, as great as it was leading up to the game, and then the action on the field actually even surpassed it. I mean, the performance that we had was out of this world. Um, you know, you, you talk about the two best wins in the entire country. We now own both of them over uh, Tennessee and over, um, of course, Oregon. And the way we did it, I mean, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into some stats here in a little bit, but. Um, both those teams are averaging, what, close to 50 points a game against everybody else not named Georgia. And then Tennessee scores 13 against us. Really, 10 of those were, were gifts. Yeah. Um, and Oregon scores three. So, I mean, it's just amazing that the defense, after you lose five first-rounders, you lose arguably our, our best linebacker before the you know, game starts, um, you lose you know, Jackson, the safety the week before, and we still just produce. Jalen Carr is a beast. The, the system is incredible. The coaching is incredible. And I mean, what else can you say? I mean, I would, statistically speaking, sorry, Gans, didn't mean to cut you off, but statistically speaking, the defense in 2022 is actually playing at a better level than last year's defense through nine games or 10, whatever we are, nine games. Yeah. We did whatever we wanted to do on Saturday, right? We slugged the ball over the field. We came out fast in the first half. We jumped all over them. We scored quick. We had sustained drives. On defense, we sat back and defended the pass. We rushed the passer. We absolutely dominated that game in all facets. Uh, Offense, defense, special teams, coaching. It was an utter ass-kicking. And I'll add the fifth dimension there, the fans. We dominated them from the stands. And I think Kirby gave gave the fans uh, proper due in his post-game press conference. But, yeah, it it was definitely the loudest I've ever heard it in the stands. My son, Thomas, who's 13 years old, who's been to a lot of Georgia games, but never anything like this. He said you, you could feel the sound vibrating in your forehead. And that's that's kind of pretty amazing because we were in the upper deck. And so I know down on the field it was even more intense um, than it was up there. But <laughs> I think I sent you guys a picture I took of the Vol fan sitting next to me who had his fingers stuck in his ears. And <laughs> he had... He had switched seats with his wife, so he wasn't sitting next to me. So I was doing my part. And uh, Kirk, tell from Kirby my, from coaches – he coaches the fans almost as good as he coaches the team right now, you know, telling us to get loud. Uh, 
I guess the rumors of a Tennessee takeover were greatly exaggerated. Um, it was an impressive showing across the yeah. board. It's amazing that Sanford got that loud with Tennessee, you know, having 40% of the stadium. I think it's just shocking that, that imagine if we had 90%, how loud it would have been. Uh, Tom, did you do any dancing? Uh, a little bit of dancing. So Nick Adams had mentioned that the, the swaying that the, the student yeah. section was doing, well, we were doing it up there. Uh, it was really just me and my son doing it up there, but it did, it had the feel of uh, Soldier Boy from 07 at the blackout game, uh, your, kind of. Your best dance moves were at the Vanderbilt game we went to uh, 2015. I think that went viral. But, <laughs> well, that game you kind of had to bring your own entertainment, right? This one had a little bit more going on on the field. True. Yeah, we need a, a slow-mo video of you dancing or else it didn't happen. Those are the rules. Uh, other thing to mention is Stetson, I mean, just continues to just impress. I mean, I thought that he was from the jump just on point. So some of the best passes I've seen him make both downfield and in tight windows in the goal line. And, um, you know, that touchdown run, y'all y'all in the game didn't see the replay, but he got lit up on the goal line. Should have been a targeting call. Um, he got right back up, did the, you know, phone call, mocking of Tennessee fans. Dude's got moxie. If you don't like Stetson at this point, like, I don't know what else to say. He's a winner. So I got a, a trivia question for you, right? It's going to be a multiple choice question. See. Stetson Bennett currently has more passing yards than which of the following? A, Bryce Young, B, Hendon Hooker, C, C.J. Stroud, D, Bo Nix, or E, all of the above? I'm going to go with E. All of the above. Stetson is a ball player, guys. Like, when he has a chip on his shoulder, I mean, he's just a winner. Who knows knows what's going to happen to him in the NFL, but I'm prepared to offer him a four-year, $30 million contract to stay in Athens. That's... Yeah, we, we, we were inking out the, the, the contract on Saturday. Let's get this kid signed for three more years or four, whatever he's willing to go for. Yeah, give him a yeah. ball and put him on TV. Yeah, you know, those stats are clearly, you know, Heisman worthy, Heisman conversation worthy at least. Um, you know, he did have a couple games after the initial Heisman talk after Oregon that he was overthrowing folks and, you know, I think I think it's going to be tough for him to get in that conversation for real because he he doesn't have to put the team on his back, you know. Like there are so many stars out there that you know, offense, defense, the weapons we spread it around to so many different receivers. Like it's just you know you think about Heisman Trophy winners in the past and they talk about it. they have this body of work right they were just week after week just building up these stats or they have this heisman moment right at the end of the year where like last year bryce young at the iron bowl like you have this crazy good game i don't know that that's going to happen for stetson because he's got so much around him that he he is great he's he got some unbelievable nfl throws this game we talked about you know the the throw to marcus rosemey Jack Saint, several throws to McConkie were tight windows, and the throw to Arian Smith was just a dime. Um, so I, I think he he is worthy of it. I just don't think he will be talked about. Yeah, there's a- but who? I mean, who else is out there? Right? Like C.J. Stroud struggled against uh, Northwestern this past week. Granted, they had weather issues, and he still has his biggest game yet to play. So I get it. He's probably still the front runner. Hendon Hooker, after a game like this, like you know. You listen to some other talking heads. They say that he just played a bad game. 
I think Georgia forced him to play a bad game. We pressured him. We sacked him six times. At this point, I would put him out of the Heisman race. Um, Bryce Young is quarterbacking probably the worst Alabama team in 10 years. Um, he's, an, he's, a, he's an amazing quarterback, but he didn't have much around him. He's not going to be the best player on the best team. Now, Stetson may not win it, but I definitely think he's worthy of being in the conversation at this point. Yeah, it, you're, you're talking about Clay Travis, uh, and and he I typically like Clay Travis's takes, but his take this week super weak. It was oh, Georgia's a better team, great, okay, but Herndon Hooker played his worst game. Well, why did Herndon Hooker play his worst game? You think it had anything to do with Jalen Carter being up his ass or seven sacks, which I think was six should have been seven, but we had that face mask. Or the fact that all of his receivers, you know, were, were covered the whole game, or, or the fact that the defensive line—I mean, yes, Herndon Hooker did play his worst game, but it was forced by Georgia's hand there. So give some credit there. Uh, Clay Travis also made a couple of comments, like Georgia made like five plays that they don't normally make, and you know, missed two throws that he normally makes. That's football, and that's the other team We're doing it to you. So I have a question, kind of switching gears a little bit, but. When, when in five, ten years, when we start talking about, you know, greatest plays and that you can remember in recent history with Georgia, the Aussies punt has got to be in there now, right? I mean, is a punt going to go down as one of the best plays in recent Georgia memory? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. That thing was absolutely incredible. And you could almost see the trajectory when he kicked it. It was going to be great. And then it just kept getting better. He kicked a 75-yard punt that went out on the one-yard line. I mean, Nylon Green hustling his ass off, you know, got to the ball, but it was already out of bounds. Um, I mean, I think we still had the momentum going our way. We were already up. What, so was it 7-3 we were up at that point? Um, yeah. But then that led to the, non-sa- the, the non-safety safety. Uh, but that game, I think, effectively put the nail in Tennessee's coffin that early on. That was such a momentum-changing punt. It was insane. Right. Yeah, I mean, you talk – Sorry, you talk about momentum, right? I mean, yes, but we did get stopped on our 25-yard line. So the only way you can have a 75-yard punt is if, sure. if you're way back in your own your own zone. But Larry's point that that was just an awful, awful, awful call on that on safety where Jalen Carter absolutely blew up the left side of the line, abused Herndon Hooker, stripped the ball from him. The offensive lineman recovers it. His knees are down in the end zone. His elbows are down in the end zone. I don't understand how you could look at that for five minutes and not overturn it. Fortunately, it didn't matter. But, hey, Clay Travis, there's another two points that should have gone Georgia's way there. Plus, it, it, was, an, to start the game. So it was an impossibly bad call, like an impossibly bad call. But I don't see how they can defend it at all. But luckily, I wrote down, I think there was like three plays that really, you know, sealed the game. I mean, there was way more than that. But three major plays that really stood out for me. The first thing I wrote down was Thorson's punt. The second was um, Keely Ringo's interception, which he was – Keely Ringo was kind of getting beat a little bit. He had had a couple pass interferences. He missed a tackle. And then all of a sudden, when Tennessee's trying to make a little bit of drive to get back in the game, he had Cedric Tillman locked up and made an amazing interception in the end zone, at which point we turned around and ran the clock down for four minutes, kicked a field goal, took it at halftime. And then even prior to that, you, Lud, you mentioned Rosemary Jackson's catch in the back of the end zone, which was an NFL throw and an NFL catch. Um, I mean, those were three just outstanding plays uh, that we made on Saturday to just effectively end this game with four minutes left in, in, the, in the second quarter. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that Keely Ringo, uh, Cedric Tillman game within the game. <clears throat> I don't know if you heard in the post game where uh, Kirby said, 
Keeley had texted him last Sunday, the Sunday before Tennessee week, and said, hey, I, I want number 11. I want Jalen Hyatt. Put me on him the whole game. And I and Kirby was like, well, I like your I like your energy, but that's not the game plan. You're going to do what we tell you to do. And I, I can see where he was coming from because, you know, Hyatt has this touchdown record for all-time Tennessee receivers, and he looked like he was going to be the problem. But – Tillman was the problem. Tillman's the NFL guy. He's going to be a much better pro than Hyatt. I think Hyatt, we talked about this. The game kind of played out exactly as I was expecting it to. Hyatt had all those touchdowns because other teams were undisciplined, would let him get loose, not because he beat anybody, but just because the the coverage broke down. And they were scheming for that. You know, that's credit to Heupel and, and his motion schemes and all that. But our scheme was... We're not going to let you get past us, you know. And Keeley was was keeping him in front for most of the game. Yeah, he had he had that um, holding penalty on him uh, just before that. But even that, talking about what what uh, Kirby was talking about, just to kind of tie this all back to his um, press conference, he said, "Look, we're not going to give up layups. And if you're going in for a layup, we're going to foul you." Right. I wasn't sure if he really meant if he really meant we're going to hold you or we're going to. You know, commit pass interference, we're going to foul you that way, which is probably the right call the way the college pass interference rule is, and, you know, holding's even less than that. But but that interception, the the way he was in phase with him the whole way, turned himself into the receiver, and I, I slowed this down real slow because I saw his head turn, and I was like, why is his head turning like that? You can see Tillman grabs his braids and tugs yeah. on him. He tugs his head around, and at the time the ball is coming down, and he fights through that, gets, makes the catch, and just Tillman draped all over him. Just what what a game for Keeley. Uh, you know, he'd been a little bit maligned in the past few weeks, and he you know didn't have as good of games as, as we expected him to have coming into the season, but he was a real real star of the game. You know what else is amazing about that game? We've talked about all these different players. Obviously, Ladd McConkie still had a good game, too. Uh, and when he scored on that touchdown after the the uh, punt that was after the non-safety safety, when he made the move on the DB, there was a coach on the sidelines that threw his arms in the air right as Ladd came out of the break to score that touchdown. But as we're talking about all these guys that had awesome days, there's two players that we're not even really mentioning that didn't put up any numbers statistically are Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. They didn't have very a very good game statistically speaking, but they were in there blocking. Darnell was chipping people left and right. Um, it just goes to show, I mean, we've been talking about this all season long, the embarrassment of riches that we have on offense at the University of Georgia this year. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, that <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. The one thing that I read was that uh, Kirby had, had gone to Muschamp a few weeks ago and said, hey, look, we've got um, – who did we play before Florida? Why am I blanking on this? Oh, we were up bye week against Missouri before that. Uh, Basically said, Van, hey, Vandy Vandy. 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 I'm sorry, Kirby. Said, hey, we've got uh, uh, um, um, Shu and I've got Vandy in Florida. Must start scheming for Missouri, which is, I assume it's true. Uh, but just to have, you know, sort of co defensive coordinators like that, particularly someone like Muschamp, is, is just a huge benefit. Um, and then the second point uh, around sort of Keeler Ringo, I thought it was great. We talked him as, as one of the keys to the game last week. But second to that, the rest of the secondary played absolutely lights out. Uh, Malachi Starks played amazing. Javon Bullard and Kamari Lasseter. So 
those guys were just up for the task. And yeah, totally agree. Cedric Tillman is a probably first round NFL draft pick. And Keeley locked his ass up. One of the, they called, I think, two, two, two penalties on Keeley. One of them was real ticky tack. Um, but, but, but great game all around there. So let, let's shift, let's shift gears just a little bit, um, to the, uh, college playoff top four that just came out. It's Tuesday night. Um, Georgia takes over the top spot. It's funny. It's like we don't even really celebrate that anymore, but that's where we landed. Ohio State two, Michigan three. None of that's a surprise. Gansas, TCU, Horn Frogs come in in the fourth spot. Um, which I think that, I think they got that right. So a couple quick takeaways for me and I want to get, get y'all's, um, impressions. Number one, We've been talking a lot about the expansion to 12, if it's a good idea, a bad idea. I will say this. It would make a Saturday that we just had not nearly as exciting. Absolutely. With an elimination game, Georgia-Tennessee, Alabama losing a second time, Clemson losing. Like, we're not going to get that kind of an exciting, you know, early November Saturday. So that, that's number one. Um, but, again, we've discussed this at, at length. Number two, five of the top 11 teams in the current rankings are from the SEC. It's a pretty heavy-loaded list that just came out. Um, and what jumped out to me even more was Tennessee came in at five, which leads me to believe they've got the inside track if they went out to get that fourth spot, potentially. Um, and they came in ahead of Oregon, which means that I guess Tennessee got their ass beat less by the dogs than Oregon did. And so that's why they put them ahead of them. So that's kind of my first thoughts. But Tom, you love the rankings. You're all about the top four. What, what you got? Yeah, I, I agree. I think they've got it right as far as you know, the current standings, um, you got four undefeated teams out of Power Five conferences. They should be one through four. Uh, we've talked about it. You know, TCU is vulnerable. I think they got a big task with Texas. Um, as long as Ewers is healthy and, and plays the whole game, I think they're going to lose that. Um, so, you know, if you, if you say, yeah, I think they've got it right now and, and try to project out what it's going to be, you know, after the conference championship games, you know, I think obviously we're in. I think the winner of Ohio State, Michigan is in. I think they're going to beat roll in the Big Ten championship game. And then it gets murky, right? I think you're probably going to have a one loss Pac 12 champion get in there, assuming that TCU does lose to Texas or does lose the, you know, has at least one loss. Yeah. The champion, the champion, yeah, right. Um, and then it comes down to, to my thoughts is who who is the best loser of the two biggest games of the year? Is it Tennessee or the loser of Ohio State Michigan? And I, you know, I think it's probably going to be Tennessee. And some of that is maybe based on how badly we killed Michigan in the Orange Bowl last year. Um, you know, there should be an SEC bias for it. But, you know, I think that's – I would slot them in at number three after us and the big 10 champ. And then for the fourth slot, um, I, my prediction is it's going to be Southern Cal out of the PAC 12. I think they, um, you know, they had a very, very uh, low score or, or you know, close loss to Utah. And I think they, they can get it back together and win the conference. There's no consistency uh, amongst the college football. So um, I, I, I agree with Cletus uh, to my bandit here, uh, and most of what I said there. Uh, UGA number one, um, uh, you know Ohio State, uh, Michigan. I, I tend to think Ohio State's going to win. The game is at Ohio State. Um, you know they, they've got USC 
ahead of UCLA right now. I think USC is eight and UCLA is like 12, something like that. But if you look at them on paper, USC is UCLA is significantly better. Um, I think that the college football playoff committee absolutely takes into account SEC bias. Um, I think that uh, the rest of the country is, is a little sick of seeing two SEC teams in there. So I think they really want to find a way to put a Pac-12 team in there. I think USC is probably that team that they'd like to put in there, right, if that happens. So now you've got one slot left, right? Who is that, right? Is that – here's the arguments we made. Does a one-loss Clemson team out of the ACC, do they have a better resume than a one-loss Tennessee team? I personally think, and Tom and I have discussed this before, that conference championship should matter, right? I mean, you play that extra game, you win that extra game, I think. And, and I think that they want – to do that. Um, so I don't think Tennessee, I know there's, there's a lot of talk that Tennessee does have the inside check based on where they are now. I, I could see them just totally throwing the cards up in the air every week and, and, and seeing where they fall. Yeah, well, I think I think the ACC effectively got eliminated last week when Clemson and, and North Carolina, their two best teams, have both been beat by a mediocre Notre Dame team. I just don't see how a one-loss ACC team is going to get in when you have potentially a one-loss Tennessee one loss Oregon, a one loss um, TCU, all the you know, and maybe a one loss Michigan or one loss Ohio State. I don't see how that that ACC conference championship is going to get them in over there. Well, the other thing that I sent out to you guys earlier this week that I found was funny or and interesting is that the Final Four projection that's still in play is UGA one, Michigan two, Tennessee three, and Oregon four, with all of them having in common their last loss was against the University of Georgia. Uh, it could happen. It could play out that way. So um, I, I don't disagree with how they how they ranked them today. EGA, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. That's what it is right now. Um, it's probably right. Um, but obviously this changes week to week. And uh, I do think uh, TCU is on upset alert big time this week. Well, it's not an upset. They're seven-point underdogs. Sorry, not upset, but I think uh, they're going to get beat. Well, but here's – okay, fine. And, and we'll get – I don't want to salt your Larry's Losers crackers <laughs> here. But – I, look, I think we should all be rooting for Tennessee. N- nobody really scares me. Let me just put that out there. Nobody scares me. I'm sorry, I'm at TCU. I'd like to see TCU beat Texas. They can. I'd like to see TCU beat uh, uh, the scumbags in Waco. They can. Then I think they've got Iowa State after that, right? And then they would play the second best team. I'd like to see them run the table and just eat up another one of those spots so that there's one spot left for, you know, um, the bridesmaids to get into the dance. So, I, I, you know, I, I root for chaos. I, I do hate, though, at the end of the season, like we've all been saying, stacking up these one-loss teams and, and having to, you know, people having sour grapes that they were left out and claiming, you know, UCF champions of the world because they didn't get in. So I, I'd like things to be a little bit cleaner. I tend to agree with you guys. I tend to think that TC is probably going to drop a game, but I'd like to see them run the table. So my observation is that after week 10 of the season, Big Bad Alabama – did not even get brought up in our discussion as potentially being part of the college playoff. I mean, I thought this was their year, right? Last year was, quote, rebuilding. They were loaded this year. We heard all offseason. And uh, they're out. I mean, they're effectively out. I, I don't understand they're out. The, the argument that they're still a percentage chance. I mean, I saw them on one of the lists. I mean, LSU'd have to lose twice. Um, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. So, I mean, is, is Alabama kind of fading? I mean, are we the new Alabama um, is the tide officially turned? Yeah. Pun intended. To by 
Brian Kelly showing some huge cojones going for two at the end. Good play, smart play, bad play, riverboat gambler, less miles play. What do y'all think? It worked, so he's, you know, on top, but what do you think about that call? He said, he said, I saw this quote from him. It's actually a really good quote. He goes, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said, if you tell me at the end of this game that I have an opportunity to, with one play from the three-yard line to go beat Alabama, because I'd do it 100 times out of 100 times. And good for him. He's playing with house money. If he goes and he loses that, he's a first-year coach. No, no, right? He's a first-year coach. First-year coach at LSU. If he goes and he wins it, he cements his legacy, right? He's now a god with his dumb Cajun accent. Well, well I, you know, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the right call. I, I think you're giving him too much credit saying he's got giant stones for it because – isn't the rule now in the second overtime, if you score a touchdown, you have to go for two? Second. So, you, second overtime, right? It's either the second overtime or the third overtime. I don't, I don't well, the third, the third starts, you only you're, go from the three. Then, then you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, so you know, that often. If, if he kicks it there, right, play it out. Second overtime, Alabama's going to score a touchdown, right? So, you expect them to get the two. Then he's got to get the two as well, or he's and you know he's going first to second overtime too. So like, you got to go for two. Then you might as well do it. Might as well like take the risk out of what's going to happen from the twenty-five. You got to go, and and it worked out. Um, kudos to him. I expect we'll see those guys in Atlanta. Um, Kiffin Kiffin's got got a chance. You know if he if he comes uh, if he beats Alabama and. And Kelly drops one of these last two, then Ole Miss comes. So we'll see. Hey Josh, do we do we hit real quick uh, the Mississippi State game coming up this weekend? Yeah, well, I have a few more things to get to, but we can jump into that if you want. Um, still got to do our sucker bet, which I don't know if Larry's ready to get to that or not. Um, we got to give him his his praise again for getting that one correct with Georgia. Um, that was the sucker bet of all sucker bets. And it was really fun to go back and kind of relive all those discussions of people just like jumping all over Tennessee. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really what the sucker bets all, all, all about. Good job, Lawrence. Not very. He's so, he's so confident he dropped out. Yeah. He's, 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 um, see you, Larry. So maybe we cover Mississippi state until Larry's losers comes back. Yeah, so we head to Starksville this weekend. It's a night game, right? It is. It's 7 p.m., 6 p.m. Central. Uh, yeah, w- one quick thing, you know, they're getting, they're saying, you know, Georgia's got to go on the road at night to Starkville, and that's a big deal. I looked it up before before uh, we got on this. For seats on the 50, right behind Georgia's bench, on step up are $150, right? <laughs> you could have sat in the foot at for $150. So that doesn't anything about what the crowd's going to be like. You know, uh, it doesn't be all that much. Uh, Will Rogers, though, Larry brought up a bunch of names earlier about people that uh, have Stetson. Will, Will Rogers has 300 yards more than Stetson. He's got 2,900 yards passing this year, which I assume leads the SEC. I didn't check that. Both are completing about 68% of their passes. Uh, Mississippi State doesn't have any good wins. Their wins are against all the Auburn in overtime. Uh, LSU in Kentucky. I feel good about this. People think it's a trap game. Dogs are half, 17 point favorites. I think we go on the road, go and get it done. Get it done. 
So I'll give so you I'm, I'm, I'm most excited to play Mississippi State strictly to hear a post-game interview with Mike Leach. That guy is dynamite on the mic. Did you hear what he said after the game against, uh, against Auburn this weekend? <laughs> yes. That one, Tom? It was fantastic. <laughs> he, he brought it back. So that was a, that was a callback to 2009 when he was with Texas Tech where he talked about the players uh, being more interested in their fat little girlfriends. But this oh. time, this time he, t- he, he, he gave the menu this time. He said, you're, you're the behind, menu. behind the shade tree eating a fish sandwich, drinking a lemonade with your fat little girlfriend. Oh, yeah. I love <laughs> it. fantastic. During the game, it's that his receiver, they, uh, they weren't getting up. But he went and he took all their chairs on the sideline and folded them up one by one. So they weren't good. They He's weren't awesome. good enough to sit down. And guys, sorry about that. I guess uh, I guess my minutes ran up on my cell phone plan. I had to rejoin. Uh, uh, cricket my cricket wireless plan was uh, was up in time, so I'm back. Sorry about that. Well, we we uh, we just zoomed right through your sucker bed. If you want to pick up where you dropped off, yeah. So what I was saying is that that Georgia Tennessee game was like the sucker bed of all sucker bets, and I've never been more confident about a game ever. And when you saw that 95% of the money was on Tennessee, 90% of the bets, I mean, that it really is. Like, I think everybody started to pick up, like, this is the definition of a sucker bet. So I think that puts us at six and three on the year. Um, four games that I like this week, uh, I think LSU at Arkansas, LSU's minus three. Um, LSU, I think, is going to be a heavy public favorite, but there is potential for letdowns. So I think they're a little bit of a sucker bet. Um, Ole Miss, people are all over Ole Miss plus 12 and a half against Bama. Uh, we know Bama struggles on the road. I don't really love that one because Bama does struggle on the road. And I just, quite frankly, don't think they're that good. They're two plays away from having four losses. And then I think, uh, the one loss UNC Tar Heels led going on the road at Wake Forest, um, are also a sucker bet. I think Wake is going to pull off the win there. Um, but the sucker bet that, I, that I, the sucker bet that we're putting down the recording for, for, uh, what is it? Posterity. TCU plus seven undefeated TCU going on the road at Texas makes no sense that Texas is a touchdown favorite. Um, I'm taking the horns. I think they're going to handle hand TCU their first loss of the year. And uh, TCU plus seven is the sucker bet of the week in week 10. Dan saw it coming. Yeah. I mean, I'll take the other side of it. Fine. I, mean, I just like being opposite. You. I, I, I disagree. Yeah. Sucker bet there. Uh, and uh, I think that LSU is going to throw. Uh, Sam Pittman's hogs. I love Pittman, but I, I think they've got the absolute wind knocked out of their sails um, with a lot last week. So, um, yeah. But, okay, so I got I got the frog minus seven. Are we locking? You got the frogs right? plus seven. Plus seven. Sorry, sorry. Frogs plus seven. That's right. Yes. Lock it in. Yeah. Tom, what's your response to Larry's six pack he just gave us? <laughs> well, um, I, I think Wake Forest is trash, but so is UNC's defense. Uh, I think they still win. Luke May, we've been talking about numbers being put up. Uh, not Luke May, Drake, Drake May. Um, his numbers are sick. They're just ridiculous. He's He should be in the in the Heisman conversation, uh, certainly if Bo Nix is in the conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. But <clears throat> but as far as that LSU-Arkansas, that line just it it's, just doesn't make any sense. There you go. It makes no. no sense at all. There you go. Um, Start, you're starting to catch and on. I, I, I knew that 1600 yeah. SAT was going to catch on sometime. <laughs> yeah, so so we did catch on. The, the the Mets getting a victory is not catching on. A and M loses again to all all teams. The Florida Gators. Uh, we've wasted too much airtime on them, but we do need to, to give the namesake award, Jimbo Gans. What you got? I, 
It's so hard. I'm running out of material with this. Three and six, they made AR Richardson, AR 15 look like like Johnny Unitas out there uh, after you know seeing what we did. So it was tough because, I, admittedly, I was I was pretty preoccupied this week, and so I've been trying to find. Um, uh, I, you know, Kirk Herbstreit with his take on the dogs prior to that that was that was a, a nominee. Jimbo Fisher being three and six and and just perpetually losing uh, nominee. Mario Cristobal. 48 to 3 against Florida State. We've called that one. But I'm going to give it for two weeks in a row to a student body. And that would be the Tennessee student body who decided to light a fire under Stetson Bennett's ass by calling him and texting him all night the night before. Uh, so, you, student body up in Knoxville, thank you. You are the Jimbo of the week. For- I love it that we get a Jimbo six pack too. It's great uh, <laughs> for, for the for for the for the dog fans who didn't make it to the game. Um, I, there was a great highlight montage of of Stetson's you know first half highlights or whatever through the first three quarters. <laughs> the stadium guy DJ whatever put Carly Rae Jepsen call me maybe over. <laughs> For the back of it, it was fantastic. Hey, and Gans, I don't know if you can give the Jimbo of the week to an anonymous coach, but there was that report late last week that said an anonymous coach said, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee hung 50 on them. Their defense stinks. Their DBs stink. Ringo stinks. Um, I mean, tell me you're Lane Kiffin without telling me you're Lane Kiffin right there. But uh, I think that's a Jimbo nominee, too. I disagree. I think that was Kirby as the anonymous coach. (laughs) Could be right. Bulldog Bob out of butt smear. Yeah, or he called his butt Sam Pittman, and it honestly was probably Shane Beamer because that that he's a clown. But uh, uh, it, it very well might have been Kirby. If you're do, you're doing a six wanna... six pack of Jimbo, though, you, you have to put Eric Ainge in there too. Yeah, <laughs> that was at least he owned it afterward. At least so. And, and I, I give a little humility there for for actual methods. Um, so we'll, we'll let that go. Before we go, y'all got some scores you want to throw out for Georgia versus Mississippi State? Sure. I'll take uh, 38-17, and every week I regret going that high on the other side, but I'll say 38-17, Georgia. Uh, my, my quick preview of this before I give my score. So we forced Tennessee into doing what, Mississippi State's bread and butter is, right? Thinking, dunking, underneath passes. They are not going to do anything against us. Give me the dogs, 46-6. Oh, wow. I like, like it. I'm going to say night game, Mississippi State, Stark Vegas. You know, it's their Super Bowl. I'm going to go 40-20. I think we have a little bit of a letdown. We still cover, still kick some ass, but they put some points on the board. I kind of I kind of trend Lawrence's direction. I've got 31-10. to 10. Uh, still an ass kicking, but not a tremendous one. Um, it's almost like playing the Marlins on a Tuesday in June, right? Like we're going to win. You, you not can get as up for as you can do versus Tennessee. Kind of like Kent State, kind of like Missouri, I guess. Like survive, advance. Don't empty out the playbook. Don't get hurt. Win by a couple scores. Anybody ever been to Starksville before? What kind of town is that? No, I haven't. Stark Vegas, baby. Never been. I've been to Tupelo a few times. Good discussion, guys. That was fun. That went well. I've been to Tunica. I have not been to Starkville. I haven't been to Starkville. I haven't been to Fayetteville, and I'm not jonesing to go. To I've heard Fayetteville is uh, actually a really good town. Northwest Arkansas is blowing up these days with all the tech money going there and uh, Walmart and, you know, uh, Tyson Chicken CFOs, 
sleeping on random people's couches. But, uh, yeah, Stark Vegas, uh, never been. Good stuff, guys. Enjoyed it. T. Ludd, thank you for hopping into the lab. Anything else that you want to get out of that big old brain of yours before we sign off? Well, I, I just wanted to say, I think and we've talked about it a little bit, just how well coached these Georgia Bulldogs are. When you think about how many incredible egos came out of high school to be a mess on our team, and he's got them playing so unselfishly. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier, uh, talking about how we have Muschamp there to to just, you know, go over in a corner and figure it out. You know, we, and Schumann, too, the, both of those guys should get a whole lot of credit because while Kirby is setting the tone, he's, you know, he sets the plan. He is doing all those uh, recruiting things and making sure those guys feel loved and, you know, attended to. <clears throat> I heard some talk this week about, you know, who should get the coach of the year in the SEC this, this year. Uh, Heupel's still the front runner for it because everybody thought he was going to be, you know, nine and three and, or, you know, Brian Kelly as a first year head coach. All right, fine. <clears throat> Coaching in the SEC is not about a one-year, one-off thing. It's about amassing and stacking talent year over year over year. And when you lose 15 draft picks, five from the defense in the first round, and you don't even touch the transfer portal, we got our guys already from the farm system. You just can't say enough about Kirby Smart. Thank God he's here. Amen. Cheers to that, right? Dan's we good? Yeah, yeah. Everybody good? Yeah, I, I echo Tom's sentiment there. Uh, uh, you couldn't be happier with the coaching staff. Kirby said he's he's got his best staff ever, and and uh, I think it's tough to to make an argument against that. As they say in the business, cosign. Yep. Right? Everything that comes out everything right, that comes out of his mouth is extremely calculated, right? To the post game speech, to all the stuff, to the directed to the fans, everything leading up to it. Um, listen, it's great to be a Georgia Bulldog, gentlemen. I liked, to that point, Lawrence, I liked how he even took that 30-second interview post-game to say, we took no one from the portal. These guys love to be here. I mean, that's calculated, too. It, kind of a dig against and he said, he said, we've, been, we've been working on this for two weeks, so, hey, Florida, suck it. <laughs> yeah, we've worked for two weeks. That's right. All right, guys, let's have another great weekend. Uh, see you all next week, Tom. Thank you, brother. As always, keep chopping and go dogs. Go dogs. Beat those sketchy dogs, that's right? right? That's right. Later, guys. Sports the dogs. Bring on the cowbells.